its teens, not just on Youth Sunday, but throughout the year. And I, uh, I know not every church does. And I, I see genuine excitement about the spiritual growth and the emotional and physical growth of our, both our children and our teens. And it's been a, a privilege to be the youth pastor for six and a half years and looking forward to many more years. So, we have finished the book of John. Good accomplishment. We've got a couple of weeks now where we'll deal with some different passages before we uh, get into John's letters. And so I have uh, chosen a, a passage this morning based solely on the fact that it was one of the passages that I translated in my Greek class this semester. I uh, had a one-on-one Greek 3 interpretation class, and and uh, the the teacher is also the pastor at Bethel OPC, and he asked me to preach on one of those passages two weeks ago, and uh, killing two birds with one stone, bringing you that sermon this morning, slightly tailored to this audience, this congregation. So uh, I believe you have a, uh, an outline there. As introduction, if I was in the market for a really good guitar, money, no object, something that would last, be dependable, I would buy a Martin guitar. I was once told that buying a Martin is like buying a free guitar, like getting one for free because you can sell it 10, 15 years later for the exact same price. The only hitch is don't drop it, don't bang it up, any problems, it's not a free guitar anymore. But it's long-lasting. If I was in the market for a car that maybe price was an object, but a reliable, decent car that would last me for a while, I would go for a Honda or a Toyota. I've heard that they keep their value for a long time. And finally, for, for many of you who enjoy this hobby, scrapbooking, I've heard that if I was looking for scrapbooking supplies, Creative Memories is the company to go with. They keep your pictures from fading and with their acid-free paper. So what I'm drawing attention to this morning is that anything, anytime we're looking for something, some of the factors are reliability, dependability, longevity, How long will my investment pay off? Will this thing last long enough to be worth it? But we know that material things fade. All that is material will perish. It will rust, decay, and corrode given enough time and the right environment. But today's text tells us that we are in possession of something that will never be destroyed or even fade one bit. Not during our lives, not during the time that the earth exists, not through all of eternity. So let's turn our attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. You have it printed on the back of your 
outline there or if you brought your Bible. Let us listen with reverent care to the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Okay, First Peter 1, 3-12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to this great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice through now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when the predicted the sufferings of Jesus Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There's a lot packed in our text this morning. And I don't, since we're not going to be going through the book of First Peter, I'll just give a brief introduction to it. Um, What you need to know is that Peter was addressing believers who were known as the diaspora, the dispersed. We remember from Acts, the the center of Christianity was Jerusalem. It's where Pentecost happened. It's where it spread from. And now we have believers going as far as these Believers that Peter is addressing are probably in modern-day Turkey, far from Jerusalem. And probably many of them were not witnesses to the events of Christ's death and resurrection. So he is helping, he's writing to help them with their Christian mission. And we know that they are starting to face some difficult circumstances. If we read between the lines in the the rest of the letter, we know that they are dealing with difficult bosses or masters because he gives instruction there. Other instruction is that many of them probably had unbelieving spouses. How do we deal with that? Skeptical or ridiculing neighbors. Peter brings a good word to each one of these situations. And if real persecution hadn't already touched them, it was coming. And Peter recognizes this. And so Peter is telling these believers, and believers throughout time, even us, that whatever your circumstances, 
you have reason for great joy. So the beginning of this passage, Peter is holding up, the image I get is that he's holding up this very precious jewel, diamond, gem, and he's kind of examining it from different angles. And he's describing it. And that gem is salvation. And so he's going to give us descriptions of it from maybe from different angles. So let's read verses 3 through 5 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a long sentence. There's a lot packed in there. And so what Peter starts is, is he's holding this gem of salvation up that great mercy has given you this salvation. God hasn't just decided that there's a little extra room in heaven and he needs some more people up here and you'll do. No, God has designs and God has lavished his great mercy to cover, to overcome our great sin, to bring you to himself. You see, it's kindness or love that will help a friend or a family member, someone that loves you back. That's kindness, it's love. It's mercy when you love someone, when you help someone that doesn't love you back. And it's great mercy to lay down your life for your enemy. And here Peter says, it's great mercy that God would bring this salvation to you who are by nature his enemy set against him and yet he laid down his life. The next thing Peter says is that we are born again. And of course we all hear an echo of Jesus teaching. We think of Jesus meeting with Nicodemus in in John chapter 3 where Jesus explains how this happens. Nicodemus Though he's a teacher of the law, doesn't understand. Born again? How how does that work? I can't go back in my mother. And Jesus explains, you are born again. The spirit world, by the spirit. And so we see the disciples carrying on Jesus' teaching. And we're going to hear echoes of Jesus' teachings throughout the book. We will hear it later on in this section even of text. Great mercy brings us to the born again state, to a living hope. Now if you watch a lot of political coverage, 
You might have overdosed on this word, hope. It's being thrown around a lot. It probably always is in election years. But I get the sense that when politicians use that, it's a very uncertain idea, very nebulous. It's not necessarily connected to anything concrete except the idea that things are going to get better if you vote for me. If I'm in charge, then you can have hope that somehow the future will be better than the past. But as Peter uses this expression, these two words, living hope, it is connected to something very concrete and very established. Our salvation that has already been accomplished that is now part of us. We are now saved and, and there's this future realization to it as well that we will come into our salvation in heaven. It's already in our possession and we have that. And so we have a true hope, a living hope. We know we can endure difficult things because of this outcome because of this hope that we have. Next, he says, this hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We know from the full New Testament teaching that Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, he is the first one to be raised. And as we are united With him, we are raised as well. You see, God's great mercy puts salvation into motion. Jesus' death and resurrection actually accomplishes it. And then verse 4, Peter describes the fact that we have an inheritance. He says this salvation is our inheritance. When we're born again immediately, we're told, you have a great inheritance. And he says, he lists three adjectives for it. And I had to throw a little Greek into this sermon because when I preached it two weeks ago, they were expecting that. And uh, the, the... Greek words for these adjectives have a certain alliteration to them. Aftharton, emionton, and emeronton. You hear how they flow and begin with the alpha and end similarly. And just these ideas, these adjectives that this inheritance is imperishable. Other, other translations say incorruptible. That it's permanent. That it doesn't rot or decay. The second is that it is undefiled. It is morally and spiritually pure in every way. And that it is unfading. That it will be no less bright or less whole tens of 10,000 years from now as it is today. Now, how do we know this? How, what's our assurance of this? I mean, 
Think about who's speaking these words. The apostle Peter, who had fallen away, denied Jesus. It must have felt at some point there, despair. Oh, I messed that up. I've fallen away from Jesus. Is there hope for me? And we remember that Jesus restores him. And we've, we've had that in the last few weeks. The story from John of Jesus, Jesus restoring Peter. But this next verse tells us that this inheritance, the end of verse 4, is kept in heaven for you. In the sense that it is guarded and we are guarded by God's power through faith. Now sadly, I couldn't preach this sermon in a lot of churches in Loudoun County. I'm glad that I was able to preach it at one other. And I'm sure there are many. But this idea that our salvation is secure, that we cannot lose what God has given us, not everybody believes that. I've talked to many people who say, mm-mm, your salvation is very much in doubt. You have to keep working for it. You have to make sure you don't lose your salvation. And when I point to verses like this one, or I usually start with, uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. They'll say, yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but you have to do your part. You've got to make sure that you hold up your end of the bargain and then God will keep his. Beloved, I want to give us the rock-solid assurance of our faith this morning. If your life is hid with Christ that you are clothed with his righteousness, not your own. You're adopted as his son or daughter. And God has given you this inheritance, kept for you, and you are guarded by his power. Your salvation is secure. I realize there's a lot to say. That's a big if, if you are saved. Because we can certainly talk about people that have gone through life with the assumption that they're saved just because they show up to church or just because they're born into a culturally Christian family. Certainly we need to make sure that we have faith in Christ and Make our calling and election sure is another phrase that Peter uses. But if we have been truly saved, if the Holy Spirit has regenerated our hearts and we've inherited all this, then your success or failure as a Christian from here on out has nothing to do with whether your salvation is still waiting for you or not. It is. It is there, guarded by God's power. 
verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though, that is, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter gives us this great news, but, and then he steps back and says, you might encounter trials. You might have a difficult time in life. Let me give you a, a, a picture of what Peter's doing this. I got this from an old Dave Silvernail service, sermon. Appreciate your keeping that for me. When a goldsmith works with gold, he takes a bar of gold and he puts it into a little cup called a crucible. Then he heats that and it starts to melt. And as it heats up, the impurities, the imperfections rise to the surface where the goldsmith can skim them off. And when the gold is ready, you know how he knows that it's ready? He looks in and he sees his own reflection. He knows it is pure at that point. And what Peter is telling these people and what he's telling you is that you are more precious to God than mere gold and God is refining you with these trials. He's allowing the heat to come into your life so that one day he can look at you and see Christ. Now, suffering is a major theme of the New Testament. We see it over and over. Certainly in the Gospels, but in the, the, the epistles, the letters. And we know that the church, the early church, was suffered and had trials in so many different ways. And it only makes sense when we realize that the suffering servant of the end of Isaiah, he, he describes the Messiah. And it's not this victorious Messiah, it's a suffering one, led like a lamb to the slaughter. It only makes sense when we find out that that is Jesus himself. It's hard to get away from the fact that we might be called to do the same. Suffering comes in a variety of ways. Inflicted by others. Inflicted by our own actions. um, From the Lord himself. There are different trials. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Here I think Peter gives a little bit more of a conditional flavor. and He says, now for a little while, if necessary. I'm not suggesting any problems or contradictions there. But Peter says you might be called to suffer. 
but know that you have the inheritance to look to, to persevere through it. I don't know what that persecution is going to look like for you. I don't know what it's going to look like for me even. But even here in America, we shouldn't be surprised when it hits. When these trials come upon us, we should recognize Jesus said this was coming. Paul said this was coming. Peter, they all said, they all warned us and told us how to react to it. And we could talk for a while about suffering and and trials and how persecution has definitely hit believers in other countries. You know, we usually hit that when we talk about that. There's a Sunday that we talk through the persecuted church. But the main thing that I pull from this passage is that pain, persecution, trials, suffering have purpose. They're not random they haven't somehow escaped God's notice and then he realizes, oh, I hope they can deal with that. And they're not meaningless. God uses them to form us. And how beautiful when it results in the praise of our Lord. As he says at the end of verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we move on to uh, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Obviously, speaking of Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And here again, we we hear the echo of Jesus. Remember recently we talked through the account of the disciples after Jesus' resurrection and Thomas, who had to see Jesus and had to feel the wounds before he believed. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. And here Peter is applying that and saying, that is you. Believers, you haven't seen him, but you love him. And you believe and have joy in what is promised. That is true faith. It will bring us salvation. And finally, Peter adds notes. Sometimes we we would separate this out and not have this be part of the sermon. but, But it was included in this text. And I like how it summarizes things. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them 
that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And here I'm reminded of three groups of beings who don't experience the joy that the post-resurrection believer does quite the same way. So the first group is, is obviously the unbeliever. Someone who doesn't have faith in Christ does not understand, doesn't have the hope of glory that we have. They don't have a, a great salvation and inheritance waiting for them. And here I would exhort you, if you are not sure that you understand how this faith works, how Jesus' death and resurrection applies to you to forgive your sins and secure heaven, I would exhort you to look into it. Come and talk to a pastor or an elder Wrestle with the questions that the scriptures bring because it is worth it to know that you have an inheritance waiting for you and that life after death is not the mystery that it seemed. We don't know exactly what heaven's going to look like, but we have the great promise of the God who created us that it will be glorious for those who believe and are covered by the blood of his Son. The second group that Peter is calling attention to that didn't experience salvation quite like we did is is the Old Testament believer. And specifically the, the writers and the prophets Because Peter said that they, as much as they searched and inquired to know the who, what, where, why of of the Messiah, the Spirit indicated to them that it wasn't for them to know. It wasn't, they weren't predicting this for them, they weren't serving themselves. They were writing for us on the other side to look back and, and connect everything together. It's hard to believe that Isaiah, when he writes so clearly in Isaiah 53, I mean, if you brought that passage by itself to people who weren't familiar with the Bible, they would think that was in the New Testament and it was a real description of Jesus going to the cross because it's so vivid. And yet even Isaiah and the other prophets didn't understand fully what they were writing. Oftentimes there was a fulfillment for then, but there is also a fulfillment in Christ. And all the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ and seen through the lens of what Jesus did for us. But Peter just draws our attention to that. That all the scriptures are opened up for us to study and to understand. Yes, the Old Testament believers were saved through their faith in the coming 
Messiah. But they didn't understand what that would look like as we do now. And finally, the very end, Peter gives us the third group, the the angels. Long to look. And he doesn't really flesh this out and explain it, but I think there's a real sense here that the angels don't fully understand this salvation and redemption because they didn't experience it as we have. The angels have not fallen in sin as we have, have not felt depravity, temptation, and futility as we have, other than the fallen angels who are now demons. But those, none of them have experienced then redemption from that sin. They haven't experienced God's great salvation and mercy that changes us from dead hearts to living hearts of flesh. Stephen Curtis Chapman's written a song about this that I think it says it well. It's called Angel's Wish. I'll just quote part of it. He says, I can't fly, at least not yet. I've got no halo on my head, and I can't even start to picture heaven's beauty. Right? Those are the advantages that the angels have. But I've been shown the Savior's love. The grace of God has raised me up to show me things the angels long to look into. And I know things the angels only wish they knew. And I have watched the blinding light of grace come breaking through with a sweetness only tasted by the forgiven and redeemed. We're the ones who experience life apart from Christ, come to understand his atoning death and resurrection and are given new life. That is a privilege as much for the believers that Peter was originally addressing as it is to us today. I don't know how many of you are Seinfeld fans. I wasn't a big fan, but I I did remember one episode where I got a laugh out of it. Looked it up in YouTube. I thought it would summarize what we've been talking about this morning pretty well. It's it's an episode where Jerry Seinfeld rents a car, and he goes to pick up the car at the rental counter. And the lady that's working there says, I'm sorry, we don't have your car. And he says, I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you not have my reservation? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservation. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. If you did, I'd have a car. You know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anyone can take a reservation. It's the holding. That's the important part. We are so grateful that God is not like that rental car company and just 
puts it in the computer. Oh yeah, they're saved. And uh, maybe if we have a spot for them. We don't just send up a prayer begging God for a spot in heaven and maybe he'll save it and maybe he won't. There's no way to tell. No, the scriptures attest that God has given us salvation that he will guard for us and guard us. Jesus has prepared a place for us in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is given as the deposit on our inheritance, a guarantee that we will receive what is promised. Beloved, if you've forgotten how great God's mercy is, and have doubted whether your salvation is secure, immerse yourself in His Word and cling to Him in prayer. And be reminded of the glorious outcome of your faith. Would you stand as we pray and close and the music team can get set up for our final